The Christmas Thieves. Stave 5. The End of It. So do you think it worked? The nag asked, chewing on some breakfast sausages in a tavern not far from Baltus's house, following a few hours' nap. We shall find out soon enough, I replied, my head resting hard upon my hand and my eyelids still drooping. I would have to get in a period of proper sleep before I made my way to the houses of Freda and Ian later that day. I jotted down the various times and places in a notebook, along with the visit to Buckingham Palace and to return to the Cartwrights a year from now. With immense luck, the scenes I would behold would be quite different, thus releasing me from the time bindings. Terrible things had happened in the past to wizards who did not keep their appointments when conducting their cosmic temporal business. And now our tale comes to its key moment. I can admit in all honesty that what you have just heard was coloured heavily by my love of a Christmas carol. Baltus never really said humbug, and many of the elements and exchanges were quite different. This is, instead, an embellished version of what really happened on that Christmas Eve so long ago. If you have read a book named The Princess Thieves, you will be asking yourself how Baltus could have experienced all of what has just transpired and still come out of it the angry, heartless duart he was in those proceedings. The truth is, some people, even when the door is opened wide for them, will not change. Note, I did not say, cannot. They will not. And it is not for others to force that change, much as we might try, and much as we might have good intentions though we can certainly urge them in the right direction. Here is what happened that Christmas morning in the timeline of the Princess Thieves. Baltus sat in his office, watching the nearby window until Ian rushed past and barreled through the door. And what time do you call this? I'm so sorry I'm late, sir. I had a bit of a fall getting here. The snow and mud plastered to the back of his coat corroborated this claim. Baltus's eyes narrowed. You did not tell me you were married to an Akka, Cartwright. Uh, I... That you had a family of half Akka. Yeah, yes, sir. I didn't believe it was... Was important? Uh, uh, legally... It is true, not a legal requirement, that every one of your superiors must know of your home life, and I am not in any way associated with the bursary department of the tower, so I will have nothing to do with cutting your pay, and never have done. Uh, true, sir. Ian was terrified. Baltus noted this, and placed a small packet upon his desktop. Is, is, this my, is this my walking papers? Ian said, his eyes glazed. He could barely believe this was happening. He was losing his situation. And on Christmas Day... It is a supplement to your wages. I believe it will more than cover the shortfall of the interracial marriage permission tax. You... you what? It is the least a man of my station can do. Now get to work. I... Ian fumbled and took the packet, examining the silver coins inside. And expect an identical amount every week for as long as I am captain. Thank you. 
So much, uh, my family are in your debt. No, they are not. Do my eyes deceive me, or are you still standing here in my office when you should be tending to your duties? Yes, sir. Right away, sir. Ian hurried out, back into the snow, and across to the tower. Baltus was good to his word, and for the first few months of 1883, a small packet was waiting for Ian every week, up until the spring, when Ambrosius Baltus met his end. When his last will and testament divided his amassed fortune, a portion went to Emmeline, the wife in East Finchley, who was soon far more happily married to another Duart. The majority went to Freda and Clarence, Though they were just as happy as they had ever been, Freda was also sad, and visited Baltus's grave once a year on Christmas Eve from then on. Finally, a not inconsiderable sum went to the Cartwright family, who moved out to the country. I will not say that M did not die, because England was a dangerous place, but through Baltus's actions, she was at least given a fighting chance. Is that honestly the best he could do? The nag snorted angrily. After all that work we put in. We? The moral support and intellectual stimulation I provided literally cannot be charted for its long-term ramifications. On balance, he was unable to reconcile things in a deeply satisfying way in our timeline. But he touched several lives for the better. And even while remaining a rotten bastard, it was not, as previously estimated, to the core. He was able to pass some of the anger in his heart and foster a little love instead. Ah, in this timeline? No. Oh, come on. No. Oh, come on. No. They all want you to. Are you suggesting I search the threads of possibility to reveal from dimensions the breadth of a shadow away some kind of brightest timeline where Baltus was genuinely a changed man? I'm suggesting that if you're going to spout Dickensian fanfic, it would at least honor the spirit of the source. Robert Zemeckis did it, Bill Murray did it, Patrick Stewart did it, even that episode of Quantum Leap did it, and I will not be upstaged by a Muppet. No, we could never beat the Muppets, dear boy. We don't have to beat them, we just have to stand alongside them. You are a rather wise horse, sometimes. All the time. This would be an eleventh world. What should we call it? I don't want to get attached. Will we not see it again? We may. But for now, in honour of Mr. Dickens, and all who have retold this wonderful tale before us, here is the best of possible endings. That was Stave 5 of The Christmas Thieves, and the final part will be released tomorrow, Christmas Day. If you would like to hear the whole story right now, it is available on Bandcamp in its entirety, along with the other audiobooks in the New Century Multiverse. If you would like to read the novella, you can purchase it in paperback or on Kindle from Amazon. Ambrosius Baltus and the Nag, performed by Spencer Lieb. Merlane and Ian, performed by Alexander Shaw. Music by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Overture, specially composed for the Christmas Thieves by Gilhaim Steinberg. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. All artwork by Antonio Torresen. 
And a huge thank you to our special patrons this month. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. 